0: As you look back on your life, maybe you've made a real mess of things. Pastor Ed Taylor says, don't lose hope.
1: We look back on a season of our lives and we've just blown it. We've blown it. We've blown it small. We've blown it big. And maybe even trying to respond to the error by fixing it. And then that's, we just blow it there. And chapter 15 opens up with such great hope and such great promise for you and I. Because if that does describe your life in any way that you've blown it, Understand this, we serve the God of the second chance. God does in His grace extend mercy and grace and gives us a second chance.
0: This is amazing grace. and welcome to another Abounding Grace broadcast. Pastor Ed Taylor will join us in just a second as we continue making our way through 1 Samuel. Perhaps like the man we'll meet today, you are really not at a good place right now. The good news that we'll bring before you today is God specializes in turning a mess into a success for His glory. He loves to give second chances and King Saul is about to receive one here in chapter 15.
1: Chapter 15 is where we are, First Samuel 15, in our Bible study, verse by verse, through the book of First Samuel. It's been a good study. Unfortunately, we're watching the downfall of a man. We're seeing it in many of the attributes that, that are possessed by a man who, with great privilege and opportunity, by the time we get to our section here in f- chapter 15— he is his behavior is going to be compared to witchcraft. Now, if you were to talk to Saul, who's King Saul now, before he was ever anointed king, and said, do you think in a couple years in your life that you're going to be involved in behavior that will be compared by a man of God to witchcraft, I'm most certain that the response would have been, no way, never. That's not my heart. That's not my desire. And yet, we see it happen. And we not only see it happen in the scriptures, but we see it happen far too much. And Lord, help us not to walk down a path that in just a few years, we went from great potential to great disaster. Now, as we open up chapter 15, I was thinking of how I am not very good with my hands. I'm not good at fixing things, uh, anything, ever. Ever. I'm not good with my hands, I'm not good with a saw, I'm not good with a hammer, nothing like that. If I break something, or if something breaks that I own, I'm truly at the mercy of a wise, skilled person that knows what they're doing. Uh, they, I, I really don't have the, even the capability of figuring out Now I can tinker a little bit with electronics and such but even then we just had an electronic thing break in our house and, and there's a brother in the church that I call right away that I, we connect right away because this is his world uh, and he would know exactly what to look for and, and even with one little suggestion uh, just telling us what to do is like oh it's broke it's completely broke there's no hope I can't even fix it and, uh, but he didn't say that because he hasn't seen it yet um, but here, you know, when I look at that, I, I thought, you know, spiritually, it's the same thing for you and for me. You're just like me spiritually. And what I mean by that is this. When something breaks in our lives spiritually, we are at the mercy of a wise, skilled God to fix it for us. We are unable to fix our own mistakes. We are unable to undo our own mistakes, we are very much at the mercy of the problems in our lives because of the flesh and because of, of our mistakes, because of our sin, requires a skilled, wise God to come and rescue, to fix, to mend, and to repair us. And we learned, didn't we, trying to fix something that has been broken by the flesh, or I would say this, trying to fix something in the flesh that was already broken because of the flesh will lead to disaster. And you've got to get that. You and I have to grasp that. And taking things in our own hands will not solve the problem. It will make things worse. We are at the mercy of a God who loves us, who has compassion on us, who is all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, and has the resources to correct those things in our lives that we have broken. And when we jump in and try to fix things on our own, it only gets worse. Remember what we learned? Jot it down. Romans chapter eight, verse eight says, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. How often in the flesh can we please God? Never, never. I believe one of the solutions in our life is to admit when we're in the flesh, to acknowledge that. Our only hope when things are amiss, are to cry out to the God who loves us and submit ourselves humbly to His care. Knowing that He has the wisdom and the understanding and the direction, he knows how to care for our lives, far better than we do. King Saul makes sinful mistake after sinful mistake only to complicate things by jumping in and trying to fix them with more sinful mistakes. He doesn't take wise counsel. He leans on his own understanding. He thinks he's got it all figured out. And chapter 15 is a key chapter in the life of King Saul. We're met with a man that's blown it countless times. And I wonder how many of us could say the same thing in our lives in various ways, that we look back on a season of our lives and we've just blown it. We've blown it. We've blown it small, we've blown it big, and maybe even trying to respond to the error by fixing it, and then that's, we just blow it there, and chapter 15 opens up with such great hope and such great promise for you and I because if that does describe your life in any way that you've blown it, understand this, we serve the God of the second chance. God does in his grace extend mercy and grace and gives us a second chance. After all that we've learned about King Saul, you would think chapter 15 would open up and God met Saul and wiped him out and gave Israel a new king. It just didn't work out. But instead, what we read of is Samuel weeping and mourning. We, we read of God's heart going, man, recognizing it and seeing it for what it is. From the human perspective, this was a bad choice. And we already knew that. That wasn't something new. God already told them it was a bad choice um, choosing a king. It was a bad choice because the king would use them and draft their kids and take advantage of them. They needed God to rule over them, but instead they chose a king. And now we see it unfold what a bad choice it is. And yet, chapter 15 is another chance. We open up with such great hope. Samuel also said to Saul, verse 1, "'The Lord sent me to anoint you king over Israel, "'over his people, over Israel. "'Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord.'" I mean, that, isn't that the phrase that you hear when you've blown it? God is great. And Saul said, God has anointed you, Saul. God, man, you are, you are in God's favor. And this is in light of all the errors that he's made, all the sins that have been committed. And here's the word. And if you're listening to this right now, and the, the description of your life is that you've blown it, listen to what the Bible says. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. That's the way out. Turn to the Lord. And here's the words for Saul, verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he laid wait for them on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 men of Judah, and Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. What we're seeing here essentially is a second chance for King Saul. That's what the Lord will do with us. He'll send a messenger after messenger after messenger, giving us opportunities to get things right. And here is Saul's chance. After so many failures on so many different levels, God is graciously graciously extending another chance to King Saul. And it comes in the form of a battle as the king and the leader. It comes in the form of a war. Keep in context, because this is a troubling passage. It's one of many troubling passages in this second section of Samuel. You have to keep in mind this is war. This is a war against two countries. And the command of God to wipe out everyone is a very specific command. And some would ask, well, wait a minute, how could God do such a thing? How could God order such a thing? Well, one of the things we need to remember that the Amalekites, the descendants of Esau, the unbelieving brother of Jacob, the enemy of Israel, have been a thorn in the side of Israel since coming out of Egypt. They have been utterly uh, bitter enemies. Wanting to destroy, you could say that the Amalekites are involved in something that's still ongoing today in the unrighteousness of anti-Semitism. They hated the Jews and wanted to wipe the Jews from women, children, infants on. So God orders their destruction. And while it does pose a difficulty, it shouldn't be too hard to conceive from God's perspective what's being dealt with here. Because this is one of the many places where the critics of the Bible and the critics of God will come and try to force us with an explanation. How could God order the utter, complete extinction of a people group? Now, my first answer is I don't know why God does all the things he does. I really can't answer that question in particular. I'm not God, I'm not in his mind. I don't know the ways of God. Um, The Bible tells me, and I affirm it to be true, that God's ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. So I humbly, when I'm forced into a corner with this particular passage and others like it, trying to force me with an answer, I honestly respond, I I don't know in particular. I don't know exactly why God would do such a thing and why he stops some things and allows other things. I don't know. I don't know why I have a desire for one thing from God and God doesn't fulfill it. He has something different. But I do know this, even though I don't know why, I do trust God. Even though I can't explain why, I trust his wisdom. I trust his faithfulness. I trust his direction. I trust his will. Even when, no, no, especially when I don't understand it. And I can't put my finger on it. And I don't know, I can't, I can't have. But I do see, from a practical perspective, I do understand the wisdom in this military campaign. The Amalekites were vicious cruel, wicked, heartless people. That's the testimony of the Amalekites throughout the scriptures. They wanted to exterminate the Jews. And they weren't just waging war on the nation, but waging war on God himself. The Bible says all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God lays this principle before us. He says, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in all the families of the earth, you shall be blessed." So you you take on the Jewish people, you take on the very heart of God himself. And so the Amalekites have waged war on God. They engaged in very vile, false idolatry worship. They offered up their children as living sacrifices to worship their false gods. They killed and brutalized and were a blight on humanity. The path that they were on would surely end in their own destruction and every generation from them. And this command is not unparalleled as God himself Seeing the wickedness of the world wiped out a world except for Noah and his wife and his family. It's not an unparalleled, it's not a brand new decision that God would make. History shows us that nations that have persecuted Israel have been severely judged even to this day. And so I can see that. It's not as difficult as a passage although although I don't understand the the knowledge of God, I, I don't also doubt him. I trust that His command to destroy the Amalekites was a righteous command because it came from a righteous God. This wasn't Saul just making it up. God gave the direction. Now, on a side note, let's step back for a second and allow the Amalekites to speak to us in typology and in picture. The Amalekites, if you like to write in your Bibles right there in verse 3 or verse 2, either one, the mention of Amalek, you can circle it and right next to it, flesh, flesh. Because the Amalekites in the Bible are a type and a picture of the flesh, which we've been talking about and learning through the life of King Saul. The flesh, the flesh life. The Bible says that if we walk in the flesh, we will be involved in all sorts of ugly sin. Our flesh, our old sinful habit patterns. Not in the spirit. You know, when we walk in the spirit, the Bible says we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But then the Bible also says that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and the two are contrary to one another so that you and I don't do the things that we wish. Amalekites here speak of living in the flesh and living for the flesh. You can jot it down in Deuteronomy chapter 25, we learn how wicked the Amalekites were. You know what they did? The Amalekites would attack. When they attacked the children of Israel, they didn't do a frontal attack on all the strong men and all the men of valor. They loved to hit the back of the pack and attack from behind as the people of Israel marched through the wilderness. What that means is the Amalekites loved to pick off the sick, the elderly, the feeble, the young, the tired, the weak. That's where the flesh attacks. They would go after those that were the most vulnerable. And that's how the flesh works in our lives, isn't it? So often our flesh will exploit an area of our lives where we're weak, feeble, and being held back from the Lord. So often the ones that are very fleshly if you kind of look, maybe you look at an episode in your life where you were very fleshly, there's a good chance that you weren't at the time pressing into the things of the Lord, but you were hanging out in the back, just sort of hanging out. You're still a part of the group, but you're really not pressing into the things of God. Big pictures for us. The Amalekites are, if the Amalekites represent the flesh, and they do, and in God's eyes, the, the Amalekites are to be completely destroyed then the picture follows, doesn't it? That you and I need to continually kill and destroy the flesh in our lives. Jesus said the same thing. He said it a different way though. He said, if your right hand causes you to sin, congratulate it, cut it off. Now, as we saw in our last Bible study together, he's not speaking literally. You're, that's not going to solve your sin problem if you cut your hand off, and then your left hand causes it, and then you cut your hand off, and now what do you do? Well, my foot caused it. Okay, well, cut that one off. And you, that, that isn't ex- at all a literal statement in the sense of cutting. No, rather, Jesus was saying, look, radical sin requires a radical response. And and it's not okay to to enter into hell with all of your appendages in sin instead of dealing with it radically. And so often many are weak and feeble because they won't radically deal. They won't radically, like King Saul would not radically deal with the flesh, as we'll see in a moment. God declares of the flesh that you're going to have war with it throughout all generations. There is no truce with your flesh There is no compromise with your flesh. There is no peaceful existence with your flesh. There is no opportunity. You and I, as we saw in Romans 8, with those in the flesh, do not please God. You need to do along and I need to do what God told King Saul to do. And that is we need to daily, regularly wipe out the flesh. It is not okay to make excuses for the flesh. It is not okay to feed the flesh. It's not okay to ignore the flesh, but rather we need to destroy it. You can jot it down in Galatians chapter five. I've already quoted it, but there is a battle. It's Galatians five sixteen, where it talks about the spirit and the flesh. There is a battle for supremacy in my life. And there's a battle right now for supremacy in your life. And your heart and desire, just in a very simple way for Bible study and for worship and for fellowship and for prayer and for communion this very night, of all the options that are laid before you, that very desire is a step in feeding the Spirit. You may not think it's all that big a deal and, you know, it's just Bible study and that's what we do. We're committed to, no, 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 there's so much more spiritually going on in your life. This is a desire to feed the Spirit and you're really eager to learn, you're feeding the Spirit. You're taking notes to, to study later, you're feeding the Spirit. God reveals something in the middle of the Bible study, and you just take care of it, you just offer it up, you're feeding the Spirit. You, you, you notice when you're feeding the Spirit, you can't feed the flesh. You have to go back and forth. You know, when you're in the Spirit, you're in the Spirit. And then, and then maybe a fleshly thing comes up, and you go, no, 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 I say no to that, I'm in the Spirit. Or then you go over it in the flesh and you go, well, you know, I don't know. You know, I got that thing and I really don't mind. And now you're in the flesh and you're not in the spirit. There's no middle ground. So the king Saul, the command of king Saul is very important for him. It's very important for us. Verse 6. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go and depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, uh-oh, what, is your word, what does your Bible say? Alive. You took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword, but that can't be good. Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, The oxen, the fatlings, the lambs and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. And everything, but everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. Now King Saul has a desire to protect the Kenites and show them favor. And I think that's a, there's still a piece of goodness in him. Uh, Everything they deemed despised and worthless, they destroyed. But he allowed King Agag to live. Now, if we continue on with our picture, let's just understand what he did here. The king of the flesh got to live. The king of the flesh. And the possessions that were desirable in the flesh, oh, he got to keep those too. So the king of the flesh lives. And the best, what they deemed was the best that the flesh owned, they got to keep that too. Why? Well, you might want to mark this. It's very important that you see this. It's a problem with us. This, this is the root. This is the root of many, many issues in your life. It's very simple. It says in verse 9, they were unwilling to go all the way. They were unwilling. Do you know what Agag means? Agag means I will overcome. That's his name. I will overcome. Here's the king of the flesh. I will overcome, spared by Saul. You know what the, what's happening here is King Saul decided to do things his own way. He's going to try to fight the flesh with the flesh. And what happens? You can't win. Because if you're in the flesh, you can't please God. He's in rank disobedience here. He didn't wipe out the Amalekites as he was told to. They're going to remain a thorn in the life of the children of Israel for many, many more generations to come because of this act of disobedience. You see, serving God, serving God acceptably involves doing the will of God the right way, the right time, with the right motives. Serving God acceptably involves doing the right thing, the right way, with the right heart.
0: Well, thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Ed, as you close things out today, you were talking about serving God acceptably, but what do you say to the person who sort of feels inadequate or unable to serve? Well,
1: you know, this is a very common uh, feeling, Larry. I think that almost, if not all of us heading into serving God is going to have that first step of feeling inadequate. And so much so that we did an episode or two on this very topic on our podcast, Lead to Serve. Lead, number two, serve. We talked all about this. Uh, In addition, it's a chapter in a book that we wrote here called Ordinary Servant, because it's just the common response to step into something high and holy and measure it by our own resources. And with our own resources, none of us are gonna make it. But as we humble ourselves before God, He steps in and He enables. And I think someone once said, and it's been passed down to us, I remember Pastor Chuck Smith teaching us that God doesn't always call the equipped, but He always equips the called. So you can count on God equipping you, preparing you, training you, and using you to the capacity and even beyond by faith that he has made you to serve. It's so exciting. So just step in. You got to step through that feeling and set aside your feelings, replace them by obedience. And again, on practical side, have people in your life that can speak into your life, be teachable, be open, be spiritual, uh, be in a place where you can accept what God has for you uh, and know that he does want to use you. And in your faithfulness and your availability and your teachability, God's going to use you greatly. Thanks, Pastor Ed. And today's
0: message from Pastor Ed is titled, Obedience is Better Than Sacrifice. You can hear it again at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our app, and that can be found in the App Store or Google Play by searching for Ed Taylor. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us pay for radio time and production costs. And think of this. You'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's amazing grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'd like to say thanks by sending you a useful resource. It's A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. I'm sure we've all experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, and it can be a confusing time. But rather than turn bitter and angry, you can experience healing and hope. Gene Edwards looks at David, Saul, and Absalom. I know you'll be touched as you read this story. Just call 877-30-GRACE to make your request and donation today. We'll pick up where we left off in 1 Samuel next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado and online at aboundinggraceradio.com.